Awesome. Hey, everybody. My name is Heather Erickson, and you are here in the Missional Living session. Um, Missional Living, the everyday stuff of life. So if this is where you're meant to be, you're in the right spot. Um, but I'm thankful that you're joining me this afternoon. I am a missionary with Chi Alpha in the city of Dayton. So my husband and I serve as the nationally appointed missionaries for the three campuses there, Wright State, Sinclair Community College, and the University of Dayton. So if you've never heard of Chi Alpha before, Chi Alpha is the secular outreach of the Assemblies of God into colleges and universities across the nation. And so we love what we do. Um, we have been actively serving in Chi Alpha for the last almost 16 years. And we got involved in 03 when we were students. My husband and I both grew up um, in the church, but there was something about getting into a community that was on mission, that had purpose, that had momentum and vision, that helped us activate our faith, and then move from what we like to say the audience to the army. And it was such a big change in our lives that we were like, we gotta do this forever. Like, this has given us a sense of purpose, this has given us a sense of meaning in God's kingdom. And we feel like we could continue to live life on the campus with students, opening, our, opening up our everyday so that other people might be able to encounter God on a personal level the way that we did. And so we've been married for 15 years. We've got three kids, um, and they're hilarious. We're in that hilarious stage of life, and also known as toddlers. But, um, but our oldest is 11. We have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and they are a ton of fun. Um, when I was young and only had, young and married, only had one kid, my husband and I had our best friends that we were in Kyle with. My friend that was in my small group when I was the first time small group leader, she married one of the guys that was in Andy's small group, and we were all best friends. And we're like living life together, we're trying to figure out what it means to be you know, 25 and advancing the kingdom when you just are brand new in ministry. And we're like, you know, we both have a common need. Yeah. <laughs> we, both of our families only have one kid. And on occasion, we want to travel together. Like, hi, welcome. Uh, like, go to Synergy or go to Fall Breakaway. And it's way more fun when you do it together. And so we were like, okay, how about we just get real radical and we buy a van together? <laughs> it's interesting that you laugh. And uh, we were like, okay, well, we had some friends that were getting ready to move to Northern Asia to go into full-time missions, and they're getting rid of their minivan. And we're like, I don't need a van full-time, and you don't need a van full-time, but we both need a minivan sometimes let's pool our resources and do this together. And so we're all excited. Um, these were also the friends that we were like looking at houses together with, we share a phone plan with. I mean like, this is life on life. <laughs> and uh, so we get onto one of these Facebook groups. You guys ever been on one of those Facebook groups? And we're like, hey, other Assemblies of God ministers our age? we're thinking about doing this. Has anybody ever done it before? We don't know what the legal steps are for getting both of our family names if we're not married. Is there anything with insurance? What have you guys learned in living life together? And the first response was, 
Well, you can go ahead and kiss your friendship goodbye, that's for sure. <laughs> and I was like, what, excuse me? We're, we're, just trying to, we're just trying to serve each other. Like, that's our goal here, to live in community. And they're like, well, if you want community, you should go to the YMCA. And my husband was like, is the, he did not post this because one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But he says, is that what you tell your church people? If you want community, you go to the YMCA. I mean, he is like furious. And he's like, well, delete. We're done here. But sometimes living with all things in common is wild, not just in the world. But we, even as Western believers, inadvertently adhere to radical individualism, where we're like, I'm just comfortable with me and my family and my way of doing things and my boundaries. And we forget the beginning, or the beginning of Acts and the, and the first century church, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves these are in the same breath, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Luke says, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. These things are related. Eating together and praying together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. You might say they pulled the resources together and bought a van. <laughs> and we did it and it was great and we nicknamed it the adventure. <laughs> and then when we started having more kids we sold it and we each bought our own van, you know, because life also has to be practical. But every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's this mention of like being in homes together and eating together, and there's this mention of the Lord adding to their numbers. And I love that those two things go hand in hand, because the idea of being able to live on mission in the everyday stuff of life is realizing that the, the mundane is useful in the kingdom. And we're going to get into it a little bit about the, the it's Acts 2, 42 through 47. Yeah, it's okay. Um, the, the war a little bit between the sacred and the secular in our modern culture and how we can live and you know, minister to that in the opposite spirit. Let me say that. Psalm 30, 133.1. 1 how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Yeah. The interesting thing is that the van situation is just the fruit of the life that we were trying to live together. The point wasn't the van. Is that we were young, grr, <laughs> And um, we were trying to figure out, okay, our lives were transformed when we were in, like, good, close-knit community where all of life was visible, kind of like the Lord just coming in and turning on the light switch in all of life. Nothing was hidden. 
Now that doesn't mean that there weren't boundaries. We'll get to the, all the precautions and stuff later, right? Because we still live in broken community. But how could we create that in our adult life? How could we then make our, our lifestyle useful for Jesus? And so in that covenant of community together, we started building ministry. So for about 10 years, we, we co-labored alongside of each other in the Dayton area, multiplying campuses, figuring out how to reproduce disciples, raising our children together. You know, they're, they're best friends now. We took our family vacations together. And it was from that epicenter that we started feeling like, okay, if we have each other's backs, then we can continue to start risking it more in the kingdom. And we can start, because if I know I've got, kind of like Pastor John was saying this morning about those, um, those oh, what was the M word? Meaningful partnerships, right? If, I, if we have a meaningful partnership here, then we can, we can take more safety risks in community for the kingdom. Because I know, hey, you're always going to have my back. Or we're going to sit down in the middle of Florida and down these oysters and work out all of our beef because we're committed to this friendship. And so we got to work through it. we got to reconcile. we got to make it meaningful. True story, right? Um, all of life belongs to Jesus. And this is encouraging for us because then whatever we have is useful for him. Living a whole life on mission has both blessing and challenge. You can work smarter and not harder for the kingdom by simply welcoming people into the everyday stuff of life that you're already doing anyway. You don't have to create other rhythms or new systems. We just say you have to live life hashtag with me. <laughs> I don't think hashtags are cool anymore, but it was cool when we coined that. <laughs> but on the other side of this coin, it takes a ton of discipline. You have to be mature enough to know your boundaries and your needs. You have to be wise in protecting your children when you let people into your home and taking time to let the Lord restore your soul. The risk is higher in relational pain when you let people in close to your life. But the rewards are greater in meaningful partnerships and in holistic discipleship. And we'll talk about that and how in order to reach Gen Z, in order to pass the baton to the next generation, we're having to overcome things that the, that the world did not pass to them, like healthy families, like parents, like transparency and vulnerability. And so then that means they've got to learn what it looks like to be parented from us. They have to learn what it looks like to be a brother or a sister by seeing it lived out in front of them. So my warning on the onset of this conversation is not to live missionally alone. Forge a community no matter how small. To strengthen each other, have gravitational weight in your already established community. Because if you already are friends with somebody and you're like having a lot of fun and you're like, hey, do you want to come and be friends with us? They're like, oh, I'm a part of something, right? And then if nobody shows up when you have a hangout, you at least have four to play euchre, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you need people to pray through spiritual challenges with you because we know that we war not against flesh and blood right but against the powers the principalities and the rulers of this dark age and where two or three are gathered there he is in our midst and we need each other to be able to fight spiritual battles on the behalf of others 
in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our PTOs, in those HOA meetings. Does anybody get anything done in those, right? But those people matter. Even if it's just a couple of people in your church or your neighborhood or wherever, it could even be your small group. Whoever they are, take the model of the first church and commit yourselves to each other and to the teachings of Jesus to see what you can offer the world around you. That's my challenge. So I want to talk about what it looks like to live on mission. If you're taking notes, Matthew 14, 14 through 21, reads like this. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away, so then go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something. And they said, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, Bring them here to me. Bring them. Bring what you have to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, which is interesting that he empowered them again and delegated to them again, even when they were not sure that they had enough. And they ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number who ate was about 5,000, right? Besides women and children. So what do you have? And you might, your first thought might be to jump to your ministry responsibilities, because if you're at Synergy, you're probably serving your church in some capacity. But I want to maybe like blow our minds a little bit to think outside of the sacred walls. And in your secular life, your non-church life, what do you have? Maybe you have evenings at home with your family, and everybody went, oh, not those. <laughs> or maybe you have weekends when you work on projects, and you fix your car, and you do things for your home. Maybe you've got that stay-at-home mom life, and you're like, what can Jesus do with this? I'm chasing toddlers. <laughs> or you just have your first couple years in following Jesus. Or maybe you've only got one year of OSUM under your belt, and you're like, is that enough? But is five loaves and two fishes enough? Or you only have a one-bedroom apartment, and you're like, how can I possibly host people in this one-bedroom apartment? I want to tell you that whether it's time, experience with Jesus, or resources that are your limitations, don't you think Jesus is aware? And just like he said to the disciples, he says to us, bring it to me. So here's just some ideas. Most of what is going to happen from here on out is just stories that hopefully inspire you to hear from the Holy Spirit in this session of how he could expand the use of your life. You don't have to be like my stories, but you and the Holy Spirit know your context. And so I hope that he will be creative with you here and inspire you for what could happen where you are. So um, I want to tell you about this first picture. He said this has a pointer. Let's see. Ah! <laughs> so this is Deja. This is Marissa. And this is Ronnie. They're eating McDonald's. <laughs> this is very normal college life. Um, Deja is very independent. <laughs> she likes to go her own way. She runs to the beat of her own drum. 
And so it took some effort for my husband and I to say, hey, slow down long enough to come over and eat dinner. And she's like, okay, well, I got 90 minutes. I can come over. <laughs> and we're like, okay, we'll take every minute you give us. Or, hey, we want to... We want to bring this over. We want to bless you. Okay, well, I'm only home on Tuesdays from this time to this time. Okay, fine. Hey, why don't you come over and stay at our house? Yeah, I could stay at your house for a couple days, but I got this to do, this to do, this to do. And we're like, Deja. But man, we worked hard <laughs> to rope her into our lives and to make ourselves available and accessible for her. Um, also, my toddler started going through this inappropriate stage where he was smacking people in the behind. And uh, yeah, Deja was hanging out with us a lot during that season. And so we were like, Lucas, please stop. But then, you know what? Right? She's in all of life, including our parenting. And she was very gracious. But she started hanging out with these girls who were very quiet, introverted girls that would have been very easy to say, okay, well, they don't have these extroverted personalities. They're not really engaging. We'll just let them be involved, you know? But Ronnie's family is from Sudan. She's first generation born in the United States. And they're just a very non-emotive, introverted family. But Ronnie has fire for Jesus. She just does not know how to get it out. So Deja was like, okay, let's just spend lots of time together then. Because she knew that people had spent a lot of time with her. And she started being around Ronnie in the, in the normal moments, because that's when Ronnie would open up. Not in the formal scheduled times, not at the big group meetings, but when they would sit down and they would eat McDonald's together, then Ronnie would share her life. And then believe it or not, Deja got a prophetic dream one night from the Lord regarding Ronnie, and she approached Ronnie and she said, hey Ronnie, I feel like Jesus has shown this to me. What do you think about this? And for the first time in our whole friendship with Ronnie, she cried and had this emotional breakthrough with Jesus. So then Ronnie, just real quick, reached Barbara. Deja loved Ronnie, and then Ronnie reached out to Barbara, who's from Ghana. When Barbara got involved, the friend that got her involved moved to another school the very next year, and she just went, my safe other Ghanaian friend is gone. What do I do? Now, Ronnie's not Ghanaian, but she does understand the transition from culture to culture, right? So she faithfully pursued Barbara all year, faithfully hung out with her. Sometimes Barbara was the only girl that would show up to their core group. But because Ronnie gave not just time at core group together, but life together, going to the store together, meeting up to read the Bible together, hanging out at night together, Barbara ended up um, having just kind of like this this breakthrough in her understanding of Jesus. From, from quiet Ronnie, Barbara has this breakthrough on her understanding of Jesus, and in the winter this year, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she was describing it to me recently, and she couldn't keep the tears from her eyes. She's like, God was so real. God was so real to me. And so she went through our discipleship training process, and at the end of it, I want to quote this correctly, Barbara says, it's through being a part of this community in Chi Alpha that I learned what Christianity was really all about. And you can see how happy she is. She just told me that, and I sneakily took a, you know, like a picture on our Zoom call. <laughs> Barbara's life has changed because Ronnie spent time with her, understanding her, listening to her, because Deja did the same thing with Ronnie. It's transgenerational. When we teach people how to, how to sit, and have life together. 
And that's the biggest resource we have to offer people is the time in our lives, the most precious, most expensive commodity that we have. When we yield our time to the kingdom, it reaps a harvest in relationship with people. Over here, same kind of thing. This is Darius and this is Blake. Blake is a high performer. He's the president of student government. He doesn't really have time for Darius. And he straight up told Darius that. He's like, I don't have time for you. And Darius is like, that's all right, but I got time for you. I'll give you any time that you have available. And so what Darius did is he, you could tell this is a basement. <laughs> Darius made a bed in his basement. And he said, Blake, you could sleep in my basement so that you can come to core group and then you can go and spend time doing your homework, just sleep and get up and go to campus instead of having to drive back and forth. So on the nights you come over for Bible study and stuff, you can just stay in my home. Darius is married, he's got three kids, a dog, and he still makes room for this guy to sleep in his basement and show hospitality. Over here, this is Michaela, and the girl standing next to her is Joya. This is at Joya's last hangout with us around Christmas time. And this is Michaela's small group leader, Ariana. Michaela got baptized in the Holy Spirit at our fall retreat this year. Um, we met, it's a very long story, so I can't even tell you all the good details, but we met Michaela during the pandemic, during a time where everyone was isolated. And because all then we could really do is offer time together, <laughs> couldn't do programming, couldn't meet in large groups, she, she kept coming around. So she fast forward to this fall, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then she started feeling like the Spirit of God was speaking to her in, unexpectedly. She would be out and about, and then she would hear the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go talk to that person. And she'd go, I'm sorry, what? This person I don't know? And the Spirit of God would be like, yes, actually, I want, I want to say something to them. And she's like, through me? <laughs> Anybody relate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here she is, 20 years old, on the campus. Her family's in Cleveland. She's taking risks for Jesus. And one day, she lays eyes on this girl, never met her before in her life. She sees Joya, and the Holy Spirit says, I want to do something in her life. Okay. Hi, my name is Michaela. I was wondering, is there anything I could pray for you about? I feel like God wants me to pray for you. Joy's like, oh my goodness. Um, okay. And that moment of faith leads to this honest confession of her struggle with addictive substances, which leads to Michaela praying for her, which leads to them exchanging numbers. And then that night, not later in the week when their schedules were open, you know, that night Joya's in Michaela's apartment. And then Joya says that she eventually experiences a deliverance from her addiction to marijuana. And then she starts down the pathway of figuring out what is Jesus all about. But Michaela was just trying to, just trying to go to class. When she listened to the Holy Spirit and decided, you know what, I have time to stop and be obedient in this moment of my life. And as a result, Joy is walking in greater freedom than she has in a very long time. This very similar story down here, this is the same girl here, Ariana. We also met Ariana during the pandemic. She and Michaela were inseparable. And this is Ariana's boyfriend, Windale. And here's Darius, same guy here. Ariana um, told her family, family of generational ministers, I'm going to pursue God when I get older. That'll be for my adult life. Maybe when I'm 40, I'll consider what I want to do with Jesus. 
And then the pandemic happened, and we happened to be on campus still. And we found her, we encountered her, and just started being her friend. There wasn't a whole lot we could do besides that, right? So Ariana eventually got plugged in and started waking up again to the truth of the gospel. And so she went through our leadership training class. And this fall, at our pre-school like school year retreat that we do, she like we're, I don't know, three stanzas into the first worship song of the night and all of a sudden she starts shouting in tongues and we're like, oh, Ariana got baptized in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we were all surprised. We we're like, the Holy Spirit session's not till later. Um, but God ignited something in Ariana's life and she couldn't contain it. And so she began just turning every conversation back to Jesus it became normative not to not to hide it until it was the right time to talk about it but in everything it just all kept leading back to Jesus and that impacts Wendale they've been dating for a long time since high school Wendale had come from a very difficult background where he over the years had experienced everything from drug addiction gang involvement demonic oppression or possession maybe and um, but he hi welcome he began to see that the fruit of Jesus in Ariana's life. It was not hidden. It was obvious on the outside. And she was turning every conversation back to Jesus. And he's like, Ariana, if God can do that in your life, he must be able to do it in mine. And so one night at Darius's small group, he opens up and Darius says, hey, let's spend more time together. We'll do the scheduled stuff, but stay after, spend time with me, and let's talk through this. So they start talking through what he's sensing from the Lord. And Darius is like, you know, I feel like God wants to, God wants to set you free from this. He was talking about how he was experiencing night, night terrors, you know, where he, you are awake but you can't move. And he goes, I'm waking up with scratches all over my body and I don't know what to do and I'm scared. So they pray together and he experiences a deliverance. I mean, very, very evident that he experiences deliverance. And Darius in his wisdom says, hey, when they leave, you gotta fill it back up. So let me teach you about the Holy Spirit real quick, okay? <laughs> and he's like, this is what the Spirit of God does. And right then and there in the same moment where he gets delivered from the demonic oppression in his life, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And he starts walking out a new life. And so Wendale just went through our discipleship class to learn how to make disciples in all of his life. These are not like super special moments. You know what I mean? It wasn't the training that they went through anything. It was the authentic expression of this is what God has done to me and now he wants to do it through me. And I can be open and honest about that. Oh yeah. Awesome. This is my adorable little Lucas. He's so cute. <laughs> this is Lucas. This is Finn, my six-year-old. And my daughter is in the creek. You can't see her hunting frogs. <laughs> Andy and I work, like I mentioned, in a context where many fathers are not present. And divorce is increasingly prevalent, and young adults are coming to age in this world without the understanding of what a good father is. So then you can imagine if that is their starting point and then you introduce them to their Heavenly Father, what a bridge there is to build. So Andy says that he, he, he parents or he fathers our children out loud. That's not like a private part of our lives because 
it's part of our discipleship experience. If we want students to learn the methodology, which we're not good at, you know, we're just like figuring it out right now, but we just don't hide it, mistakes or the occasional good decision that we make, right? We just try to submit it all to Jesus, which is the key, right? It's not about the, the looking good on the outside, it's about the heart transformation. The kingdom of God is advanced not by external force, but by internal transformation. And that's what we want. That's what we want our students to experience. Right? We don't want them to grow up and hear what the Pharisees heard from John the Baptist. Right? That you're clean on the outside, but empty on the inside. You need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so we're trying to model, even if we make mistakes, life transformation, submission to Jesus. He is Lord. Um, so that means that our kids are regularly around. Here Andy is, uh, he's, he's digging this big trench right here on the side of our ministry house because there's this water leaking problem. So we're trying to put the gravel in, so we build stairs, right? What you don't know about this story is that we were all done with the digging part of the project. This has nothing to do with my teaching. And then he, he backs up. He's like, I'm just going to make one more pass. <laughs> and blew all of the electrical out of the building for five days. Praise God for insurance. And we got a new, brand new panel box, so it's updated. <laughs> all of life. <laughs> but these guys get to be around all the time. And um, they love the XA house. They love the frogs in the creek. They love the apartments. They know where their friends live each year. And they love coming to parties. When it is bedtime, during a Chi Alpha party, they cry. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's, it's legit. We have to leave. We have to leave right now. You know, and they're like, but I love dancing. I'm like, I know, you know, come on. Um, these little boys just got asked to be the ring bearers in one of our students' wedding. They don't have any little brothers or little cousins or anything that in their life. But both Jordan and Jared gave their lives to Jesus while they were in college. And Andy and I are currently walking them through premarital counseling, sharing all of life. And so they came over and they asked, like, can all three of your kids be in our wedding? You know, your daughter, your sons. It's really special. They love Jared. Those boys love Jared. Um, students are often in our homes. I prep dinner while I chat about Jesus. Andy lays bricks in our backyard when the guys are over. We invite them, like I said, to hashtag be with me. Whatever I'm doing, you can do it too. There's a sneaky lie that tempts us to live this dichotomous lifestyle. And it's not everyone, but we're all susceptible to the temptation. That there is like, there is a religious life and there is a non-religious life. That there is a sacred life and then there is the rest of my life, my secular life. And we're tempted to think of our faith as related to church involvement and the rest of the, our life is at our discretion. But I would like to encourage you to see your whole life as sacred. All of it is useful to the kingdom. And all of it should be submitted to Jesus, right? Being a, it's things like being in a discipleship relationship with a neighborhood kid. That doesn't happen because you sat that seven-year-old down and said, I would like to set up a weekly meeting with you and let's make up a contract with your parents, right? It's, like, it's more like having margins in your life 
so that when he shows up and he rings the doorbell and he says, Mr. Andy, can we go fishing? That Andy's like, I've got time for that. And you pick up the fishing poles and you take the kids and you go to the pond in, where the HOA says you're not allowed to fish and you do that, you know, you make room. <laughs> Um, it's being willing to be inconvenienced to help the person down the street move in, to take time to bake some cookies because you know that they just lost a parent. And so you're going to be present in their lives in the moments that matter. It's inviting them then into your home while we were grilling the nice burgers for our family. If you've never been in ministry, then you don't understand what I mean because there's like college kid burgers and then there's the nice burgers. And on Kyle for night, we make the college kids burgers, right, Joe? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then there's the nice burgers that I usually only make for my family. But if I'm loving my neighbor, what does my neighbor get? The nice burgers. Yeah. <laughs> college students don't care. They just want food. <laughs> In a list of other godly lifestyles, Paul says this to the church. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is all in one breath, right? Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Oh, that sounds very spiritual. I'm going to be patient in my affliction. I'm going to be faithful in prayer. Yes, God. And I'm going to practice hospitality. (laughs) Then my home is open. During the day and this might not work in your context because I live in a very safe neighborhood and so if you live somewhere else where you can't do this, it's totally fine. But in my neighborhood, I leave my door unlocked during the day. And on a Saturday morning recently, um, some students came over to pick something up and I just hadn't gone outside yet. And so they started to walk in and they're like, they're like, do we ring the doorbell? Knock, you knock. Okay, you know, and I can hear them because I'm not that far away. So I'm laughing and I'm like, oh, the door's not open. So I go unlock it. I open the door. So I'm like, hi. And they're like, something wrong? Your door was locked. <laughs> and we're, they're like, we didn't think you ever locked your door. And I was like, okay, I don't leave the door unlocked at night telling people they can come in and take my TV. You know, like, come on, guys. Um, hospitality is not just dinner parties where we plan something out. It's open doors, open lives, it's accessibility. Are our lives accessible to our neighbors, to the people that live across the street, to the people that we work with? I mentioned this before, that the biggest resource we have for the kingdom of God isn't our credentials, our training, our classes, our education, it's our time. The reality is you're gonna be asked If you're at something like this, you're probably the kind of person that's going to be asked in the ministry if you could do one more thing. Do you have time for this? Do you have do you do you have just an hour a week where you could you could help us with this? We just need people to help us get this program off the ground. And I want you to say yes. I want you to serve. It's good for your heart. Responsibility is the miracle grow. It creates maturity in us. But can I say that the Spirit of God needs margin in your lives? For when somebody just needs to come over and cry. It was 11.30 at night last February when one of the interns in our internship program called me crying going, I just found out about some infidelity in my marriage. What do I do? And I was like, I got time for this. 
She's like, I know it's late. I was like, I got time for this, you know? Like, we're gonna go through this together. And over the next six weeks, we walked through a major thing and God be praised. He, her husband experienced some major deliverance, went through rehabilitation, God saved their marriage, and they're expecting their first child now. You know, like it could have gone another way. And it wasn't because I answered the phone, but there was a system of, of people, layers of covering in place, that they didn't go through it alone. And I sat eye to eye with him on my living room couch and said, this is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done, but I need you to repent. I need you to confess and repent. Right? And we walked him through it because that's what family does. Over your dead body, right? Would you let your children go crazy? Should not we also look at the, the brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm here through this with you. Treat younger, younger women like sisters, younger, brothers, younger men like brothers, right? and treat them with love and covering. Religion that our God and our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27. Here we go. I read that story because of these two women. This is Darlington and this is Imani. When we met Darlington, um, she was in her grad work at the university, and um, she was in distress because she had been living with people that she didn't know. She just got into an apartment because she's an international student and she needed housing. And she was really struggling because um, the Muslim students that she, were, she was living with were really, they were really attacking her. And so she prayed. She prayed and she's like, God, I just want to live with a Christian family. God, help me. And she happened to meet one of our girls, and I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I get this phone call in this very thick Ghanaian accent. Hello, Pastor Heather. And I'm like, oh gosh, I, hi, hi, who is this? You know? And she starts telling me, she's like, I need a place to live. Can I live in the Kayalva house? And I'm like, oh, uh, okay, I can't understand you very well. Um, it's hard for me to talk over the phone, but I'd love to meet when I get back. I'll be back on Thursday. Can we meet on Friday? She's like, oh, yes, Pastor, that's fine, that's fine. Right? And I meet her, and I know, I, I get the, the DL, right, from the students on my way there, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, Andy, she's got nowhere to go. I think we should have her live with us. And he's like, we've never met her. And I was like, well, what do you think we should do? And he went, yeah, we should take her in. <laughs> she was a believer. Our students vouched for her. She wasn't totally a stranger to her community. She just wasn't known to us. And we're like, okay, we trust the students. We know she's a believer. We also know that she's been in a religiously oppressive environment. Let's just take her in for a little while and let's see what happens. So I met up with her and I said, okay, Darlington, we will want to officially welcome you into our home. The terms are $200 a month, all utilities included. You can eat any food that we make. Anything that you want to eat outside of that, you have to make. How does that sound? And she goes, I'll take it. I'm like, okay, great. Darlington's whole family was in Ghana. She was trying very hard to navigate another culture, other systems, right, and, and adulthood. <laughs> and she didn't have a covering. And so we viewed her, not literally like an orphan, but as if she were an orphan in need of parents. And we're like, for this season, that's the right thing to do. And so she lived with us. She watched our marriage. She l spent copious amounts of time with our children. She would do devotions around the dinner table with us. She was in our life. And she became like a daughter to us. 
I mean, she's not that much younger than us, uh, but it just, it just felt like we, we were family. And so when this guy showed up, started sending roses to the house, we were like, uh-uh, you gotta have a talk with dad first. And so Andy trapped him in the back of the minivan one night. And uh, he says, Samuel, let's go, let's go, we're at a basketball game, let's go pick up the minivan for the girls. And he's like, okay. And then uh, they go get the van and uh, Darlington and I show up and he's like, Samuel, scoot back. So he scoots to the second row. He said, no, scoot back. Let the girls get in. So he's got him cornered in the very back of the minivan. And then he doesn't even turn around. He puts the rearview mirror down and he goes, why are you spending so much time with Darlington? What are your intentions? You know, and he just drills it, you know, because he's a big African man and he just wants to come in here, you know, because he's trying to make a good showing for us because he, he loves Darlington and he wants to marry her, right? And we want him to know that, man, she's covered and she's got a family. And you've got to honor her family if you're going to honor her. Right? And he loved it. If we look back on that, we all laugh about that. <laughs> and it was great. And Darlington thanked us. And she goes, I'm so glad that you love me enough to protect me and to help me through this. And so we made the Pinterest board. We got the flowers. We made all the bouquets. You know what I mean? Like, we made that wedding happen together. And it, on that wedding day, it felt like we married off our firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> we're all messy tears and then for the reception we break out the wax print and we're in our matching you know African dress and pants together because we're all in for celebrating who they are we are all citizens of heaven right and so if me celebrating her culture on earth makes her feel like more of God's family then I'm all about that we love Darlington she's got two kids now and they're doing awesome this is Imani you can see her holding sweet baby Eden here Amani was uh, a, a junior at Wright State when she came to us one day and said, I just found out I'm pregnant. And we realized it was a situation where the father was not going to be able to be involved um, due to his lifestyle choices. And we were really confronted because she did not have parents. These are her grandparents, and God bless them, they're great people, but they lived in another town. In order for her to be able to finish her degree, she needed to stay in town with the university. And so we we're confronted in that moment with, are we pro-life? Because if we are, then we've got to take care of her as if she were a widow, without a husband, just like it says in the first century church, you know, to, to cover over widows. And so we we're like, okay, well, there's this room in the back of our house that we call Darlington's room. <laughs> you also, can have this room for a short time, um, but, it, but we knew a room's not gonna be enough. You're gonna need to take this child to all of its first appointments and to be able to get food and things like that. So community, we're gonna put our money where our mouth is and let's take up an offering. Okay, and it was just like Acts chapter two. One guy over here, the guy who had been reconciled to his wife after infidelity says, I have a car. I could sell it very cheap. And we said, okay, who's got resources? And people laid down resources. And we were like, okay, we're about halfway there. That's good, let's, let's keep praying. And the next morning, one of our students shows up. She's in tears, I mean, she's been weeping. She knocks on the door, she hands me this envelope. She's like, take it, just take it now. <laughs> and I'm like, Isabel, what's going on, you know? And she's like, God wants me to give this and it's the hardest thing I've ever done and I need you to put it towards Imani's car. And then she leaves. 
and I open it up, it's for two grand. This is her whole summer, last summer. And she put it in an envelope and she gave it to this woman and her child in need because we're a family. And so, deposit that sucker, right? You know, and we're like, praise Jesus, you did it, you did it. And so we raised enough money to buy the car from Ulysses to cover the first year of insurance, right? And then this guy <laughs> did all the upgrades and maintenance that it needed because he has that to contribute to the community. And so Imani drives that blue car now and uh, she lived with us for about six months until she got into this awesome Christian program for single moms who want to finish college. They give them a gated community, housing, 100 bucks a month for this furnished two-bedroom apartment, and childcare all week in a five-star thing. And they, um, it's Christian, I think I mentioned that, and they have a great like credit union matching program to help them raise money to be able to put a down payment on a vehicle or a home when they're done with the program. And she's thriving. And so she comes to me the other day and she's like, Heather, I'm three months away from graduating college and I don't, I don't want to get a secular job. I want to go into ministry. I want to help people. I said, Imani, what do you want to do? And she's like, I either want to go into campus ministry and help more people like me, or I want to plant a church. And I'm like, yes. Like that's in her DNA. And she doesn't mean this church. You know what I mean? She means I want to open up my life and make it available so that people can come in and live life together. Okay. I just have a few more stories. Is that okay? Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, forgot to delete that watermark thing. Sorry, guys. It's not professional. This is Isabel. <laughs> Isabel's awesome. <clears throat> Isabel was raised in the church and was um, a PK pastor's kid. And then when she was a sophomore in high school, um, her father had a moral failure. And both her father and her mother then left the church. And at 15 years old, she's trying to figure out, oh, what does that mean for me and Jesus? What, what does this mean for my faith? I thought, I thought we were the church, <laughs> you know? Like, just like any other minister's kid, all of my all of my free time has been under the pew and in the in the classrooms and, and on these summer trips and stuff like what what has happened? And so she spends the next couple years trying to sort it out on her own. Fast forward, come to college, and we have been loving her all year. And it was the easiest kind of person to love because we were like, hey, come spend time with us, and she goes, Have all my time. <laughs> She would text me and go, when are you and Andy going out next? I would like to babysit your children. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, right? Um, but she, she wanted family. She was away from hers in Chicago. She's actually Hispanic. And um, so she comes from a family that loves to be family. <laughs> Lots of relatives and stuff. And she, she's missing all of that. At the same time, she's trying to figure out Jesus. And she's reliving all of these wonderful memories from her childhood. <sighs> Summer camp and the youth group coming over. I was in the midst of it and I loved it. And now I don't know where I fit. And so, fast forward through the year, she takes part in our discipleship training program. And one night she's like, Heather, I, I don't know, I, can, can I just have some time? Of course. So what do we do? 
we got in my minivan in the parking lot under the basketball hoop in the, in the Kyle House lot and I just said talk about whatever you want and I got no agenda and she starts unpacking the conviction that she's feeling in her life and what Jesus is doing and she goes I just I just want to give him all my life and I looked at her and I went Isabel this is an interesting moment have you ever told Jesus that have you ever said I believe that you are God and I realize that I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me and be Lord of my life have you ever done that and she went no but I've been wanting to for days <laughs> I was like now is the moment Isabel <laughs> and so I just walk her through Romans Road I said you know that we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and that the wages the penalty for our sin is death Isabel you deserve eternal death because you have rebelled against God but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ because while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, Isabel, before you ever knew what was going to happen with your family, before you ever knew what, what choices you were going to make, Christ died for you because he knew. And he didn't have to get it together first. And she's like, oh, that's good. But I said, but if you believe this for, for real in your heart, that Jesus is, is God, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And she's like, that's what I want to do. And so I, I just said, well, then you tell him. And right there in the parking lot, about 9.30 at night, she gives her life to Jesus for the first time, having been raised around the church, but because of rupture and things like that, at the moment of ownership, at the moment of I, could, I want to own my faith, she just needed people that she trusted to come alongside and say, it's okay to say that. It's okay to do that, Isabel. And so God redeemed, God redeemed this big broken moment in her family because she was in this context of safe community that continued to run the race with her even when her family couldn't. So then Tuesday, so that's on a Sunday night. So then on a Tuesday night, Isabel leads core group for the first time. It's part of the requirement for um, the leadership training program. She's got to lead the Bible study. <laughs> you can do it, Isabel. I believe in you. And it goes so great that it has this monstrous impact on one of her core group leaders. This is Lexi. She's one of the leaders, okay? But Lexi has been dodging us all semester. And I'm just like, Lexi, stop ignoring my text messages. Stop canceling our hangouts. Stop running. She's acting like a prodigal, you know? But I'm praying for her and I keep asking. I keep asking and I'm persistent and I keep hi hey oh yeah Kate what, what's going on you know just I'm staying there like the persistent widow you know like I'm just I'm on her and then she goes to core group Lex Isabel leads and Isabel shares about what God's been doing in her life and Lexi's cut to the core now I'm supposed to meet with Lexi on Thursday she's canceled like the last two or three times before this and she texts me Tuesday night and she goes can we please meet tomorrow and I'm like, <sighs> and everything in me, guys, is like, no, because I'm not available till after four and all of my kids are home from school by then and then I have to start making dinner. No, you cannot come over tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I know what's happening. I'm like, <sighs> if she's asking, I gotta make time. It's just meal prep, you know? My kids all want to watch Bluey after school anyway. <laughs> 
turn on the bluey. I was like, sure, come on over. She comes over, she takes her sweet time, eats the canes at my table, and I'm like, all right, Lexi, you know, come on. And I, was, I finally, I was like, Lexi, just go into the living room, sit on my couch. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, what's going on? What do you want to talk about? You know, I'm kind of like, and she starts opening up. For the next 90 minutes, she opens up about, I just had this realization that this is not where I want my life to go. I just realized that if I continue to live my life like this, I'm going to lose my relationship with my boyfriend. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my faith. And I'm going, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, you did it, Jesus. All I knew how to do was to be faithful. All I did was water, but you brought about the harvest. This is all I could offer. I couldn't be in the dorms with her. I couldn't go to class with her. I showed up to the dance recital. She's a dance major. I showed up. But I, I couldn't be there in all of the absolute little things of her life. But I was faithful to her, Lord. And then you brought about the harvest. And so I looked at her and I said, Lexi, are you saying that you're wrong? She's like, I've been wrong. I said, Lexi, you need to tell Jesus that and you need to repent. <laughs> She's like, okay, how do I do that? And I was like, you better get used to this because we have to do it a lot as Christians. <laughs> we just pray right there on my living room couch. This is two days after, three days after Isabel. And because this is what happens in community when we're all running after Jesus together, just that like we're bumping into each other and, and the Holy Spirit is creating that momentum. Oh, real quick, this is Ashish. This is Ashish's graduation from grad school. We're so proud of him. Ashish also lived with us for a season. And we're so proud of him because he replicated himself in the community. Now he's gone on to look for a job in New Jersey, but he raised up two other Indian guys in his wake. And so the, the diversity of our community is growing right now because Ashish just spent all of his time while he was here loving Prem and Joed. And now Prem and Joed are part of the community and they're like, oh, we just want to spend time with other people too. And so 2 Timothy 2.2 says, take what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses and then go in and trust it to reliable people who will then go and teach others. And so we gave the gospel to Ashish. Ashish gave it to reliable Prem and Joed and then Prem and Joed will go and teach others. Here's my encouragement. All of life is easier than it sounds if we are faithful to be good disciples of Jesus. We say that discipleship is increasingly, so not just stagnant, but increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and the Lordship of Jesus. As the longer I walk with him, the more of my life he's allowed to have access to. And the more I welcome his spirit in, and the more I submit to his leading. So here's my advice. <coughs> Pick one grocery store and stick to it. And go down the same checkout lane every time. Try to pick the regular time so that you hit the same schedule for that checkout clerk. And get to know them by name. And ask them how their life is going. And make friends with them. Or pick a coffee shop and be a regular. Know the baristas. 
have rhythms in your life. You're going to do these things anyway. So don't be haphazard with them. Be intentional with them. Cut your grass at the same time the other guy does so that you're out there together. Because then you could talk afterwards. Or, hey, maybe sometimes you, you mow his grass too. You get out there before him, right? And you serve your neighbors. Show up in other people's lives too. Don't just invite them into yours. You go to their kids' soccer games. You go to their work functions. You go and support what is important to them because Christ incarnated himself among us. Can we then not also incarnate ourselves among others who are in need of the gospel? Challenge yourself at what your proximity to lostness is. When's the last time you had a good old conversation with someone who didn't know Jesus? Do you have regular proximity or do you have to go out of your way? If you have, if you have to go out of your way, could you increase your proximity to lostness? The reality is that missional living is tough. If you don't give yourself time to recover from embracing more people into your life, especially all of our introverteds in the audience, and they said, amen, right? Um, you need to be intentional with guarding your own soul. Proverbs 4, right? Guard your heart, from out of it comes all things, for it is the wellspring of life. You have to rest from pouring out, but that is the model that Jesus gave us. He spent all of life with his disciples, and then he would pull away and rest with the Father. We abide with Jesus. John 15. Stay connected to the vine. Remain in me and I will remain in you, says the Lord. Our time of connecting with Jesus is what gives us the energy, the focus, the overflow to be able to give out to others. Jesus modeled recovery. So we have a choice. We can be apathetic and overly casual about the kingdom of God. We could disengage. Live like, well... Someone, I tithe so someone can get paid to do this. <laughs> or we could work our butts off in the wrong direction and, and burn ourselves out and bear no fruit. We've all been there. You're like, oh, tried that route. Or we can work hard in the right direction. Open up our lives to people. Instead of creating more things to do, make more time to be build in times of rest and then the Lord says if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit and it's fruit that will remain the only fruit that remains is is the gospel being born into other people is disciples people people's souls are forever so I want to I want to encourage you with some resources real quick these are things that have like totally totally changed my, my understanding of missional living. These four books, well, five. Saturate is one book, and its partner book is called Gospel Fluency. Gospel Fluency is just like teaching us how to speak the gospel back to ourselves, how to learn the language of the gospel and, and contextualizing it in all of life. How does the gospel relate to, you know, disappointment, to marital problems, things like that. If you learn to speak the gospel, then you're able to be able to be with people in all of life. This is by Jeff Vanderstelt. Surprise the World by Michael Frost. He talks about bells, which is this rhythm of living where we try to, uh, let me see if I can get it right, bless others, 
eat together, listen to the Spirit, learn Christ, and understand yourself as being sent by God into other people's lives. Bells, surprise the world, Mike Frost. And then building a discipleship culture and leading a missional community by Mike Breen. This is, I, I described to you a lot about our Chi Alpha community because that's just the context in which I live, but everything that we do is predicated off of these principles. And so whether you're talking about a house church, your neighborhood group, your church in general, the, these are the resources we use to for, formulate and give, uh, give words to the expression of uh, family that we live out. Sound good? All right, well, we have just a, about 15 minutes until the next session, but is there any questions or any comments? Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate you joining me. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. <laughs>